Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Man, you guys are looking so good today. Thank you so much for joining us this morning at LifePoint Church. If you don't know who I am, my name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church. If it's your first time with us today, thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's our privilege to have you with us. Now, the last several weeks, uh, we have been in a series called Better, and our senior pastor has been leading us through a couple different spiritual practices that we can embrace in our lives, and if you've missed any of these last sermons, please, please, please go back, check them out, uh, podcast, uh, SoundCloud, Facebook Live, whatever you'd like, but don't miss out on the content. It's so good, it's so real, and it's so practical for our lives. Uh, The big idea that we have been wrestling with when it comes to faith, when it comes to growing as a believer, is that we're not shooting for perfect, right? Like sigh of relief. We're not shooting for perfect. We're just saying we need to take steps to get better. And what we've been saying is that it's practice, not perfect. That's the goal. That's the aim. And we're focusing on the direction that makes God our priority for 2020. Because what we've been saying is that when you, put, when you give God the first and the best, He blesses the rest. When you give God the first and the best, He blesses the rest. So practice, not perfect, focusing on direction instead of intention. Again, the challenge isn't to be perfect. The challenge isn't to, to have good intentions. The challenge is to, is to just start moving step by step, taking a start. So there's two clarifying questions that we've been asking throughout this series. First, what is God leading me towards? What is God leading me towards? And second, what is my right next step? In other words, what is God leading me towards? What, what is, where is his finger kind of stirring in my life, in my heart? And in response to that, what's the right step that I personally need to take next? But there's a tension. Because many of us find ourselves struggling between the ideal and the real. The ideal and the real. And this truth causes a lot of tension for those who are followers of Jesus and those who are watching the followers of Jesus. Because there's who Jesus calls us to be and who we are. There's who we want to be and who we are. Right? The gap is evident and it can be daunting. And we can decide because it's so large and the gap between where we wish we could be is so big that we will, we're just not going to do anything about it. We're just not going to take a step to close it. You see, Jesus gives us an ideal to shoot for, not an ideal to make us feel like we've fallen short. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, now this is a big deal. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but putting God's kingdom in, ahead of my kingdom, bro, that's a struggle. Right? He calls us to aim for the ideal, but gives us grace for the real. His grace isn't given so we can fail. His grace is given so that when we do fail, 
we can pick ourselves back up. Because what's happening is there's a battle that's going on for you. There's a battle that's happening between your flesh, what you naturally want to do, and God's spirit, where God is pointing you towards, where he's trying to lead you to through a God conscience. And so by putting spiritual disciplines to practice and arranging and rearranging our lives around God, we're setting ourselves up to do eventually what we're unable to do on our own now. This is what we called training. And so we've embraced several spiritual practices over the last several weeks. The practice of prayer, the practice of fasting, the practice of serving, the practice of generosity. And what's so interesting about these is that these are all practices that you can do on your own, you and God, right? It doesn't need anyone else. But there's a practice that Jesus models that we cannot do on our own, and that is community. And what's so incredible about the practice of community is that it can actually help you do all the other ones better. It can, it can, it can enhance them and bring greater value to them. There's this old saying in AA, we can get drunk on our own, but we get sober together. You see, I cannot grow spiritually all by myself. No, no one can, but I can sit on my own. I can get stuck on my own. And James 5.16 lets me know that I can get healed by God in community with others. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so real quick, the the first question that we should ask in this passage is, is what makes someone righteous? Well, first, it's Christ through the cross, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what separates righteous from unrighteous? There's a part that you and I have to play. You see, a righteous person realizes that they've only failed when they've stopped trying, when they've stopped trusting, when they've stopped putting to practice what Jesus asks. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. This is good news for us. Because the righteous person isn't someone who doesn't fall into temptation. The righteous person isn't someone who doesn't sin. It's someone who gets back up after they have. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, and no one who does what is right and never sins. If I'm not willing to try, then I've decided to fail. It's practice, not perfect. And that makes you righteous. The practice, not perfect, through the cross of Christ. That's the real, and that's why we can shoot for the ideal in our lives. And so today, we're going to dive into the practice of community, and we're going to be looking at the early church to kind of set this up, and I want to paint a picture for us today by showing us how they did life together and why they did life together, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Are you ready? Here we go. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want us to engage with this passage today by focusing on a particular word in this text, the word fellowship. And the concept, context of fellowship, which is, is this word in the Greek is, is, is said uh, koinonia, say that five times fast, built upon the root word koinos, which simply means common. And common is the word that I want you to remember because this is so important about the early church. And we need to understand that the early church was filled with common people. Ordinary men, women, and children who shared much in common. Yet it was their commitment to each other and community that enabled them to be uncommon, that enabled them to be extraordinary. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian, says it this way. Genuine fellowship is grounded upon a negative. It is grounded upon what men lack. And listen to this last line. Precisely when we realize that we are sinners, do we perceive that we are brothers. Precisely when we realize that we are sinners, do we perceive that we are brothers. You see, the community of the early church was built on a shared awareness of personal brokenness and spiritual poverty. The early church to realize their own poverty, leading to voluntary and temporary selling of goods and possessions, holding them available for the common good. Because out of our vulnerability, we recognize the need to share. Think about this. Remember a time when a circumstance in your life crippled you to the point where it brought you to your knees, right? Physically, figuratively speaking. It happens. It brings you to a new kind of awareness of the weakness that you have, of the label that you wore, the darkness that surrounds you. And that vulnerability forces you to surrender your pride in exchange for humility. And it's humility which makes it easier for you to connect with others, to bond with others, to speak life to others, to just listen in their time of need. Because common ground is important. The mutual need and necessity to bond together brings out vulnerability and allows us to share our stories and build up one another. And this is so huge because fellowship is built on common need. It's built on the recognition of our own poverty physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We all have more in common than we'd like to admit. You see, our, our culture really talks a good game about inclusiveness, but it's highly exclusive. 
tribal, polarized. See, our, our world is constantly excluding, drawing lines, pitting one against the other, isolating individuals. We see it all the time. Our emphasis upon the individual and independence has left us with a lonely competitiveness where we see others as rivals and as enemies. And I don't know if you realize this, but there's actually a friendship crisis in America. The average person has one close friend. One close friend. And if that wasn't bad enough, 75% of people say they're unsatisfied with the friendships that they do have. Look at your neighbor next to you. There is a problem. But the biblical church, the biblical community is the answer. You see, when you become a Christian, you realize that the boat in which you thought you were alone is very crowded. And in this passage, koinonia is being used to describe a new kind of community, a new kind of family. The early church is taking this, com- this word that means what is common and it's changing it. It's building on it to describe a new way of life that what was common has now become, become uncommon. It's, it's changing things. This new family shared together, participated together, did communion together, had a new kind of generosity and identity unlike anything that had been seen before. It was a new kind of family where everyone had a place to belong, where everyone was welcomed, where nobody was perfect, where they recognized through Jesus anything is possible. Sharing in common life and purpose equipped the early church to be uncommon and extraordinary. And that same call remains for you and for me today. You see, our fellowship is built on the Jesus in me meeting the Jesus in you. Common people coming together, committed to unity and community because of the cross of Christ. Because through Jesus, He's lifted us out of our brokenness to give us new hope. Through his resurrection, we have new life and a power to change. It's incredible because the early church through common life gave expression to the experience and to the calling of Jesus and thereby became very uncommon. They became a people who were more interested in service than status a people who were more interested in opportunities than problems, a people who were more interested in potential rather than their own personal preference. They simply asked, is this the best that we and God can do together? Is this the best that we and God can do together? Were they perfect? No way. You read the letters? They did stuff that'll make you blush, that'll make those Mexican Mexican novellas pale, bro. (laughs) Were they common? Very much so. But were they also uncommon and extraordinary? Yes. Because of the life and power of Jesus that they shared, 
ordinary people in a common purpose begin to bear witness to an uncommon experience. And this is where community hits home for you and for me. What they began, we have the privilege to continue. You see, there's practical application to community, and you you all know this. Everybody loves to lose weight for some reason. I don't quite understand that. Losing weight, right? But here's the deal. Like, you normally want to take somebody with you on the journey, right? Like, you don't want to, you don't want to do it alone, because if you fail, somebody probably failed worse. It's kind of, that's that's how I think we rationalize it. But it's easier to tackle the pain of weight loss, right, with somebody else with you, when somebody else is there sharing in your pain, right? They're crying, you're crying, you know, you can do one more push-up, run 30 more seconds, and fall in exhaustion and be like, we did it. Like, there's, there's some kind of power there because the common cause stirs something up in individuals committed to a course. And, and here's the thing, there are, there are a few things that I cannot do on my own, a few things that I would rather just not do on my own. Like, here's the thing, I don't know if you guys know this, and the truth is you don't know this because you don't show up to it, but there's Wednesday morning prayer here, It's not happening anymore, so don't show up to try to prove a point. <laughs> but there's three people that show up to that. Pastor Tanny, <laughs> Zyra, and myself. And I don't know if you've ever been to a prayer meeting by yourself, but you want to fall asleep and just never wake up again. That's how it works. But when you put 25 to 30 people in this space every morning, for 21 days during prayer and fasting, something begins to happen. The space begins to change. You begin to get charged up. Community. It can change the game in your life, but there's a part that you play and there are decisions that you have to make. The first thing is that we have to come to recognize, especially when it comes to this house, this community, here in this church, that we are only ever alone as we choose to be. We are only ever as alone as we choose to be. Now, maybe you've walked in here for the first time today. Maybe you've been coming to LifePoint for ages. What you need to know is that you have a friend in faith waiting for you to discover but you have to discover them. And lucky for you, we make it easy for you, right? Join a life group. You saw it on your seats. We've been hounding it for weeks. As you leave today, there's going to be a tent where you can stop by and check them out. But if you're not willing to connect, if you're not willing to put yourself out there, it's on you. You're only as alone as you decide to be. But in order to pick yourself up and to find community, you're going to have to learn to be real. There's nothing to hide under the shadow of the cross. All of our sins collectively put him there, and he still forgave us all. But pretense, posturing, hiding, wearing a mask, acting like your world is is A-OK, kills relationship, kills community. It can kill the church. We embrace each other at the level of our poverty, not our pride. Don't walk alone. Don't wear a mask. Be real. 
Acts chapter two, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the word sincere here is so important because it simply means simple without pretense. It's not that hard to be real and transparent if you could just recognize that we all are embracing our own brokenness in this space. And I don't know what you're facing, but you don't have to face it alone. We're a family here, but there's a catch, and you have a part to play, and you can't enter into community without being transparent and being authentic. Throw off your pretense. Be real. That's when you practice what's ideal. The second thing, confess your sins to each other. Now, we touched on this ever so gently earlier, but I feel like we need to just come back around to this. You see, James chapter 15, verse 6 said, confess your sins once another and, and be healed. Find healing. Because the beautiful thing about confession is that when I bring something into the light, right, my light invades your darkness. Light pervades the space around it. You ever turned on the flashlight in the middle of a dark room? What happens? The light moves out. It's seeking darkness. It's giving clarity to what you couldn't see. This is why community, this is why groups are so powerful. Because when the light bulb comes on for someone else, when I'm in close community to you, your light shines into my darkness. You see, isolation is the garden of the devil. Isolation is where the enemy makes you feel like you're all alone. Nobody can understand. Nobody's experienced it. That you're walking all by yourself. That's not true. In community, your light can impact my life and my darkness. And my light can impact your darkness and your life. Because as God reveals his light to you and me and we share that with each other, it invades the hidden places of our hearts. Your willingness to be humble reminds and remembers me to be willing to do the same. Remember, we embrace each other in our common poverty, and that's when we see God's provision show up. When we embrace each other in our common poverty, that's when we see God's provision show up, and our common becomes uncommon. Now for a moment, I just, I just want you to lean in because this is important. But sticking together does not mean standing up for someone else's sin. We might step on some toes here, but please hear me out. You see, Jesus accepts you as you are, but Jesus does not expect you to stay as you are. You see, with Jesus, everyone is welcome, even though Jesus knows nobody is perfect because Jesus knew that with him, Anything is possible. You see, the point of truth is to lead to transformation. The point of confession is to lead to change. Truth is not circumstantial. It doesn't bend and change with culture. The truth that we find in this word is God's truth. It's our truth. 
It should confront your opinions. It should challenge you. It should convict you. Truth brings attention with it. That's just how it works. Biblical community. Life groups are a place where we embrace each other in love and confront each other with truth. Community was meant to encourage you and extend you, to embrace you and engage you. Groups are meant to take you from where you are to where God wants you to be. It happens together. You see, Jesus came to free us, but his exception of freedom is following him, not leading him. If you want the freedom that Jesus offers, you have to follow what he says. This is what we see the early church doing in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The apostles were the primary source of truth because they had been with the truth, Jesus. They weren't stating their opinions. They weren't stating how they felt they didn't come to talk about what, was, what, what, what felt ooey-gooey and what culture was doing. No, they came to embrace the truth that Jesus taught. Truth brings tension. Confession should lead to change. And change happens best in community. Confess your sins one to another. And finally, commit to community. Commit to community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. I just want to skim over this and pull some stuff out. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, in the busyness of our lives, I understand how impossible this text can feel for us. And we might read this and, and think, man, I don't even know if I want to meet every day with my church community. <laughs> like, I don't like them as much as they like me. <laughs> I get it. I I'm not hating. And fortunately for you and me, we only do life groups once a week. <laughs> and all we're asking is that you commit to a group where you share common ground. That's why we offer different kinds of groups here at LifePoint, activity-based groups, freedom-based groups, like, I don't know if you realize this, we have a group that does dude stuff. That's literally the name, dude stuff. Eat meat, dig holes, I don't know. What did, throw axes, do dumb stuff. Somebody's gonna get a broken leg at the end of it. That's okay. Guys are dumb. <laughs> In the best way possible, men. There's a ladies' breakfast group. Like, who doesn't like to eat? This is San Antonio, let's be honest. We like to eat. There's a parenting group. Like, come on, man. You know your kids are a nightmare. <laughs> Let's come love and hate on them together. <laughs> we have freedom groups for, for couples, for, for ladies, for our seasoned young seniors. Right? It's as easy as going to lifepointsa.com, clicking on our group's link, and viewing what's available and figuring out where you can find common ground. And there, you'll encounter God's truth, which will lead to transformation in your life.
It's personal. It's intentional. It's rallying together in a common way for an uncommon cause where we can connect and change together. I want to share with you a story today of a young lady who embraced the practice of community here at Life Point Church. And I just want you to see how it has impacted and transformed her story. If you guys could just put, uh, pay some attention to the screen. My name is Hannah. I am originally from Seattle, Washington. I came to San Antonio December 2nd, 2018, and um, I found Life Point shortly after. Uh, I was looking for a church and pleading with God to show me where to go to find fellowship and to find community to help me through the situation I was coming from. Um, I was leaving with my son from an abusive relationship. I had no idea where I was going. I had no foresight into what was uh, ahead of me. And in the middle of the night, at like two o'clock in the morning, asking God to show me where to go, he showed me Life Point as I was just glancing at a map and looking at different churches. And I joined uh, the small groups for the summer. It was a young families group and it was really amazing just getting a chance to meet some people and start fellowshipping with others and building those relationships and taking it deeper. And um, I was encouraged to do Freedom by some of the other ladies that had previously done it that I had met in the, small, the first small group. Um, and so when the fall semester came up, I decided to join the ladies' freedom group that was being offered. And my life has changed <laughs> in ways that I could never. My life has completely changed from being somebody who was broken and I had no vision for my future. I had so many blocks between me and God and not, even though I was raised in church and I knew who he was and I'd had a relationship with him ongoing throughout my life, um, I wanted more and I didn't know how to get there. In the 12 weeks, 12, 13 weeks that I was doing the Freedom Group, there was a stage that was set for the conference where I gained full freedom. And it was hard, there was a lot of work. It was pulling back um, the layers and exposing things that I hadn't exposed. I never thought that I was worthy enough, that I was good enough, that I was pretty enough, that I was worth enough. And I see that that's not true enough. God has shown me how much he loves me. I'm the daughter of a king. I'm finally able to be the mom that I wanted to be. I'm finally doing things with my son that I wanted to do with him. He's not even three yet, and I just see such a bright future because of my healing. I can show him that you can 
move forward in life from, from things that are challenging and um, I can be a good parent finally that I wasn't, I wasn't doing before, just existing and not actually living. And I'm just excited for the walk that God has for him and for myself and for the lives that we're yet to lead. That's the power of community. That's the heartbeat of this church. It's not that you would just come and find comfort, it's that you would come and you would be changed. Hannah didn't know what was ahead, but she took a step. Hannah decided, I don't have to be alone. Hannah decided, I can trust my church community. Hannah decided to confess the struggle she knew she so desperately needed to escape from. Hannah decided to be devoted. That one step led to the next, and the next, and the next, and the next, and it transformed her story. And if God can do it for Hannah, God can do it for you. Do you see the light? Do you see how Hannah's hope can invade the darkness of your heart? When we see ourselves in one another broken, common ground begins to form. And we can walk together in community, sharing the light of God to each other hunting down the darkness each of us is so desperately trying to escape. What is God leading me towards? What is my right next step? What is God leading me towards? What is my right next step? You see, God takes our real and moves us to the ideal with every step of faith that we take with him in community with others. Can we bow our heads? I just want us to pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, today, a broken people. God, what we can see from Hannah's story is that she didn't get her freedom in isolation. It was the sharing of our lights together that brought freedom. And God, today each of us have different struggles and different sin and different issues that we're trying to navigate and work through. And some of us, God, so many of us are trying to do it alone and bear the weight of it and we're getting tired and we're getting beat up and we're worn down. And all we needed to do, God, was to turn to you and to find community with others to get the strength that we need. God, today in this place, God, those of us that are struggling are surrendering, God, to you. To the power of your cross, to the freedom that we have. God, your way, not ours, be done. And God, today I pray that you would help just put your finger on the area of our life where you want to see change. And then help us, God, to find a group where we can share common ground 
where you can begin to till the soil of our heart and plant new seeds that are going to bring new life to our future. God, we trust you. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.